0: There are there are these core things that, that pastors talk about in churches far and wide, every stripe and variety, and, and, and a universal thing I've seen is that there are these core things that they talk about um, that they think you get, that they think you understand, assumptions that they make that, that we tend to think we're all on the same page with, but that in all matter of fact, we're probably not. And one of the biggest areas I've seen this in is the topic of forgiveness. I mean, does it get any more central to Christianity than forgiveness, right? I mean, what is this all about, that that God forgives us, and he does it abundantly, and he does it graciously, and he gives it to us freely, not free to himself. It costs him everything, but it's free to you, and he just pours it on. Whatever you've done, God can forgive it. Not only can he, God will forgive it. For those who are in Christ, and then he calls us to do the same, right? Forgive one another as I've forgiven you. I mean, you know how the Lord's prayer runs, right? You ever think about this? Give us these, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses. How? It's the worst line in the world, isn't it? You know, don't forgive me as I forgive others. Forgive me in spite of how I forgive. Others, But that's not what Jesus tells his disciples to pray. And there's all this misunderstanding out there, I think, among Christians. We think we're on the same page that I'm not sure we know what forgiveness actually is. And I found so many believers, so many people over the course of my ministry who find themselves in this place where they feel like they are unable to forgive and oftentimes, it's, it's because of all of these misconceptions that they have about what they think forgiveness is supposed to be. And so that's what I want to talk about today. This thing called forgiveness, what it is and what it isn't, and how to take steps in making it a reality in your life. Had a had a conversation a little while back. Very well-meaning individual comes up to me and uh, and she says to me, there's this family that's not coming to FOF anymore. They're not coming anymore because, because they're just kind of fed up and frustrated and, and all these other kinds of things because they feel like... Their son is no longer being intellectually stimulated. But you know what? I set him straight. I, I hit your back. I said, Are you kidding me? That's the most ridiculous thing. Have you been here? I got your back. Now, this person came to me in a, in a mode of encouragement. I've got your back. This is ridiculous. Have you ever heard something so stupid? But what I fixated on was it is not intellectually stimulating. This person comes to me with all the good intention in the world, and you can walk out any given Sunday, and 99 people would probably agree with her, but I'm stuck on this 1% comment. Now, you ever get comments like these? You ever find yourself in situations like these? I was listening to a pastor talk about this, and there's actually a theological phrase to describe this kind of thing. This is what we call a chocolate-covered turd. On the surface, it looks appealing and good, And flavorful but when you come to terms with it and bite into its chewy center you realize it is far different than its candy coating and I find myself getting hung up on this phrase that shouldn't bother me not intellectually stimulating I know better I know better, I'm smarter than this than to take that personally. I know how the game works. I mean, I'm a bigger person than this. Why does this bother me? And what I find is happening is that what's bothering me more than the comment that I find myself going back to and thinking about again and again and again, what I find myself thinking about more is not so much the comment, but why can't I get over it? Why is this bugging me so much? And I'd put money down that a lot of you find yourselves in places like that too. And in times and places where it's probably a lot worse. Someone who torments you at school and it cuts. And though you know the words are not true, you just can't shake them. Or a parent who has told you your entire life that you're not good enough. Or every compliment is laced with some kind of idea, but... Know what I mean? Or that spouse that has berated you throughout your marriage, or that relationship you're in, or a nasty business employment kind of situation, and the words, they cut and they hurt, and some of you have been through divorce, and some of you have been through abuse and you find yourself wanting to distance yourself from it but even when you do you carry it with you because there was something in it that you just can't shake and you seek to try to forgive but you just can you just can't seem to get around it you know what i mean now the new testament uses two Um, words, among others, to talk about this thing that we call forgiveness. One word is pronounced apoluo, the other word is pronounced afiemi, and both are used and translated at times in the English Bible as forgiveness, but what's fascinating about these words is they're also translated in a number of other ways. Sometimes they're used in contexts like when Jesus will dismiss a crowd he will epiluo the crowd or me," the crowd. Sometimes when Jesus decides to move on to another place, the same word will be used. He'll talk about epiluoing on or, or "Epheaming on. Sometimes it's used to release something, like to just let it go. Let go of it. I'm trying to take it. Let it go. Other times it's used to talk about tolerating something or allowing something and still other times it's used even to refer to divorce. And you start putting this together and it starts painting, a, 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 I think, a pretty interesting word picture. It starts painting this conceptual field of that, that somehow and in some way forgiveness seems to be about release, about letting something go. And total forgiveness would mean doing it in your totality an emotional release, a physical release, a a release of obligation or debt, release in terms of demeanor and action towards the person. And how many times do we sit there and go, I know that God tells me to forgive, and I just can't seem to let go? Because forgiveness, in its truest sense, is holistic. It's a lot like love, I think where it involves not just the emotion, but also the will and action and mind and body and soul. And a lot like love, all of those things are rarely there at one time together. You follow? I find a lot like love, it often has to be nurtured and built incrementally. And that's what I want to help you navigate here today. Before we go there, though, I think it's important maybe just to, to clear up some things, to talk about maybe what forgiveness is not. Let's talk about some misconceptions that I find people have about forgiveness all the time. Here's a big one. That forgiveness equals trust. That somehow if I forgive you, therefore I have to trust you again. I have to put myself back in your hands again. That if I forgive you, I in some way have to make myself vulnerable to you again. And that's the farthest thing from the truth. I love what the Proverbs have to say. 26 says this, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. There are some people that, no matter how many times you forgive them, are going to go back and sniff their vomit again and lick it up and live in this perpetual cycle of disgust. And by trusting someone like that is, well, it's basically to go swimming in their vomit yourself. Forgiveness does not equal trust. And one of the most important things people can learn in this game called forgiveness is its corollary called boundaries. That the offense you've given me, I can let go. But that doesn't mean I have to make myself your victim again. I've seen this with parents who who have kids with just rampant criminal and drug problems and they're like 23 24 25 years old and they keep taking them back in again and again and again i've seen this happen in worst case scenarios with spouses who are being abused and they like but i need to go back because god's told me to forgive or a spouse who's cheating on them left and right but aren't i called to forgive god has given you two feet right use one of them to kick their butt out Because forgiveness does not mean trust. And I think we as Christians are often more guilty of couching this this wussy, weakly, unwillingness to to confront attitude of passivity under the banner of forgiveness. But guys, you know what it is? It's called enabling. And it's not doing anyone any good. You can forgive without enabling. You can forgive without. Without being a victim, you can forgive without re-extending trust. Maybe heard, maybe heed Jesus' words on this. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs, and you are sacred. You are more precious than a pearl. Do not feed it to dogs. Do not throw it before pigs. Here's another one I hear all the time, that forgiveness equals forgetting. And then people will like, kind of like quote stuff like this from Jeremiah. You know, God says this, I will forgive their wickedness and, and remember their sins no more. So if, if God doesn't remember our sins and we're called to be like him, that means we got to forget them too. And if I remember, then somehow I haven't forgiven. Guys, can we just kind of clear this up now? It's a metaphor, all right? It's not like God actually physically forgets. I mean, God is not this senile old grandpa who went, oh, Jesus died. What did they do? I just don't remember. You know what I mean? God is omniscient. He knows your path. He knows your past. It is a metaphor to say that when I forgive you, it's like it never happened. That's how God forgives. You cannot forget. You're just not wired to. Have you ever tried to force yourself to forget something? You ever want to memorize something? Try to forget it, all right? You just can't do it. It isn't within your ability. Forgiveness does not mean acting like it never happened. Forgiveness does not mean it is washed from my brain. The real art of forgiveness is forgiving despite the fact you know what happened and that you're not naive to it. Here's a third. Forgiveness equals reconciling. Now, the Bible will talk a lot about reconciliation. You know the word? You know what it means? More or less two becoming one again, two, coming to peace with each other, two or more, finding unity with each other. And reconciliation is a beautiful thing. And God calls us to it. But the Lord's Prayer doesn't say, forgive us our sins as we reconcile with those, because forgiveness and reconciliation are two separate things. You see, reconciliation ultimately takes two. Reconciliation for it to happen requires both parties to come together, offering repentance and forgiveness and compromise and a willingness to bury the hatchet. But forgiveness does not require two. Forgiveness requires one you. You can forgive someone regardless if they ever say, I'm sorry. Now that doesn't make it easy. But it's possible because your forgiveness does not depend on their apology. You can forgive someone despite the fact that they continue to do it, despite the fact that they don't even care that it hurts, despite the fact that they might even delight in it a little bit. You can forgive someone who is dead. Because forgiveness is about a personal action. It's about saying, I'm letting go of you. I'm letting go of what you have done to me, regardless of what you think about it. Forgiveness, in a strange way, is the farthest thing from victimhood and passivity. It's taking ownership of a situation and saying, no, I'm going to choose how this plays out for me. And one more. You ever hear this, that forgiveness feels equals feelings? That I don't feel like I forgive them. I've said it, but I I hate them. I said it, but I can't let go. Have you ever had those things that no matter how many times you've said, I forgive them, it just still grips you in your chest? Guys, I got good news for you. Forgiveness does not equal Feelings. And while all of us want that feeling of release, forgiveness is ultimately an action. It's something that you do, and the feelings follow in their own time. And so that's what I want to get into now. How do you start taking steps, if you're here today, with a sense of bitterness or anger, or unforgiveness in your heart? How do you start taking steps to that total, complete, holistic, forgiving release that the Bible sets up here like this ideal that we're called to? First is this. Honesty. You just got to get straight up with yourself about how you feel. I've met so many people who are so afraid of their own feelings that they deny they exist because how can someone like me feel that way? How can I be the kind of person who feels like that towards another human being. And so they turn the blind eye or they shove it way down or they try to ignore it or forget it, but I'm telling you guys, if you are looking for the gateway to forgiveness, it begins with becoming honest with yourself. How do you really feel? I love the Psalms. You see these men and women of God crying out for blood, On their enemies. Charge them with crime upon crime, O God. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life. It goes on bend their backs forever, drop them in the dust. May they eat the dirt, break them, Lord. Dash their children against the rocks. I am not making any of that up. Have you ever prayed like that? It is a rush, I will tell you try it sometime one of the most amazing christian men i have ever met was a seminary professor and that's not something you say about too many seminary professors he was this 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 70 year old man who just had this deep abiding love for god that kind of just came out his pores so thick that it stunk you know what i mean He was the kind of guy that you looked at and you said, I want to be that guy. I want to be like him because he knows something about this God that most other people just talk about. And I remember how he would sometimes pray, how he would teach us to pray. He's like, you know, you're going to have these people that are going to hurt you. They're going to wound you. And when people like that do that to me, this is how I pray. God damn them to hell. Have you ever prayed like that? psalmists do and maybe there's a place for you as well because God knows what you're feeling anyway so better to become honest and straight up with how you're really feeling and leave it in God's hands now It doesn't stop there. The next step I find for many people is the shift. It's the shift, how this, this, this one seminary prophet, Lewis Brighton, used to pray, God damn them to hell, but Lord, that they would repent first. <laughs> crying out for blood, but crying out that God would turn a heart to shift to God's will. Lord, I hate them, I hate them, I can't stand them, I wish they were dead, I wish their kids were dead, I wish their spouse were dead, I wish their house would burn to the ground, I wish you'd kill their pets. (laughs) But Lord, why are you more upset about the pets than the family? You think I'm warped? Jesus is hanging on a cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. To come from this place of honesty, this place of of, of raw, brutal honesty, calling for vindication, calling for justice, calling for God to set the record straight, but trumping it with God's will. But Lord, you've called me to forgive, and I don't want to forgive. You've called me to forgive, but I hate him, God. You've called me to forgive, but God, he doesn't deserve it. But Lord, you've called me to forgive. So, dot, 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 and here's where it gets interesting. Here's where I find people often have to start at a lowest common denominator in their prayer. Maybe you're at a place where you can actually utter the words, but Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do, but maybe you can't bring yourself to that place. So maybe it starts somewhere like this. Lord, forgive me for not being able to forgive. Lord, I got to believe that when you say that this is your creation, it's actually true. It doesn't look like it, but I got to believe it's true. Forgive me for thinking about this way of your creation. Lord, I can forgive, but help me. Soften my heart. Bring me one step closer today. Be honest with God, don't be pious. Don't tell him what he thinks, what you think he wants to hear. Tell him where you're actually at and meet him in that place because it's at that place that he'll meet you. And he'll say, now come, follow me. And Here's the third. Do it daily. Do it daily. It's not a one-time thing. There's this myth that forgiveness is a one-time act. There are people in my life that have taken five, eight, ten years to forgive. People that in my prayer life, I've said multiple times, God, I forgive them. And I felt wonderful for the moment. But you know how it goes six hours later, right? Right? It comes creeping back in. People that I've gone to and I've actually, quote, reconciled with and said, look, this hurt me. That they've said, I'm sorry, and I've said, I'm sorry, back, and we've made peace. And then the day later, you're just like, God. Because forgiveness is a daily act. It's like repentance that way. It's like committing your life to Christ. It's not something you do once. It's something you do Daily, That every time unforgiveness wells up in your life, whenever you feel it again, that you say, Lord, I'm angry and I don't want to forgive him, but you've called me to help me here this moment to do what you've called me to do. If you are here today and it has been weeks or months or even years or even decades and you're still gripped in your soul, Start practicing this daily, and I'll tell you what'll happen. In time, release becomes easier. In time, forgiveness comes more quickly. Over time, you will discover that you have started to let it go. And the final is just what I call Romans 12, where Paul writes, on the contrary, Well, on the contrary to what? On the contrary to the line he says right before it where he says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It is mine to repay. Do not take revenge. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. And that last line is the best news of all in it, right? And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And I've seen people try to spin this in pious kind of ways. No, man, it's just boom on him, right? It feels good. Do this to your enemy. Treat the people who have wronged you with kindness. And let me tell you something. This is not being fake. This is not being fake as though you're being duplicitous. It's only being fake if that while you're doing this, you're like, you know, lacing it with cyanide or something, right? It's only fake if while you're doing this, you're simultaneously seeking to undercut them or gossip about them or get revenge on them or find some way to use the the vulnerability that might be extended to jab them deeper. But beyond that, it's not fake. It's what God calls you to do. They might hate your guts. They might not be repentant. They might not care. It's the way of Jesus. And in doing so, you will heap more burning coals on their head than by hanging on to all the bitterness and cynicism and anger that you can muster in your hearts. I don't in any way want to make this sound like it's easy. following Christ isn't easy. The way of Jesus is so interesting in that God gives us everything freely and then asks for every ounce of who we are to be conformed to his way. Forgiveness hurts. It will cost you. In a lot of ways, Forgiveness feels a lot like death. But what I found about Jesus and his way is that the way of death ultimately leads to resurrection. And your forgiving might feel like death. But with Jesus, after death, resurrection. There's an author, speaker named Tim Keller, and I love what he has to say about this thing called forgiveness. He says, in lieu of the unforgiveness, in lieu of bitterness and anger and holding on, there is another option, however. You can forgive. Forgiveness means refusing to make them pay for what they did. However, to refrain from lashing out at someone when you want to do so with all your being is agony. It is a form of suffering. You are absorbing the debt, taking the cost of it completely on yourself instead of taking it out on the other person. It hurts terribly. Many people would say it feels like a kind of death. Yes, but it is a death that leads to resurrection instead of the lifelong living death, the hell, I would say, of bitterness in cynicism. A death, to be sure, but better than personal hell by far. And that's fundamentally what unforgiveness is. It's allowing yourself to wallow in a bitter hell. When God calls us to forgive because he knows on the other side is something greater by far. And guys, we, we got to become masters of this. Not just students of it, but masters of what it means to forgive others, to release and let go To Romans 12 them. When they hurt us and wound us, to do it wisely and prudently, within the confines of what forgiveness is to be sure, but to do it, none the less. Because I tell you, that's what speaks in a world today that's driven by tit-for-tat. That's what speaks and impacts people in a world today, where justice, which is code. For vengeance is the operative way. It's what melts hearts and changes them from stone to something that God can work with. And it begins with you. I encourage you to practice forgiveness and become a master of what it means. To forgive as God has forgiven you. And I hope that makes sense of some things. I'm going to ask you to rise. Jesus has forgiven the sins of everyone who are in him. For those who throw themselves on God's mercy and put their faith in Christ, Jesus forgives them. And you know what? It cost him. It was filled with suffering and agony and death. And I think to try to make that point come home, the night before Jesus was to be killed for our forgiveness, He took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, Take and eat. It's my body. Don't miss the words. Broken. Me. Broken. For you. And he took a cup and he gave thanks to God that he was found worthy of the task, worthy of the call. He gave it to them and he said, Drink of this, all of you. This is my blood and I shed it for you. I shed it for your forgiveness for all of your sins. So brothers and sisters, listen to what Jesus says. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Churchy, right? Remember what I did. Remember what I do. Claim your forgiveness. And now do as I do. If you are here today needing forgiveness, welcome to this table. If you are here today struggling to forgive, I want you to use these next moments now to come to God in your heart with honesty about the anger or grudge you're holding, shifting it as best you can to what he's calling you to to practice it here today, and to come and eat and drink and let God fuel you. Let's pray. All of us have been wronged in this room of God. All of us have been wronged, and it hurts. And I believe, God, there are certain things that virtually all, if not all of us, have we've been struggling with to just release and let go? Here's our prayers right now. Help us because we need your help. Help us in this today. Help us in this, oh God, we pray. Amen.